Please open your Bible to, you guessed it, Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, page 909. In the pew Bibles that are in front of you, if you're sitting on the floor, and if you're up in the balcony, they are underneath you. Page 909, Luke chapter 2. Did you receive a good gift this year? Did you get a good present? I know I did. Plenty of good ones. But you know, I, uh, I have also brought you a gift this morning. You're welcome in advance. Uh, whenever we're doing children's worship, and uh, not children's worship, whenever we do Good News Club, and we go to the elementary schools, and uh, I get to share the gospel with our children at the elementary schools, I always tell them every time we get together, I brought you a gift, children. And the gift that I brought you is a good joke, one that you can use later on with your family and with your siblings. Everybody needs a good joke in, in life. And so today, likewise, with our children here, I bring you guys a good joke today. You're welcome in advance. Here, have some Christmas-themed jokes. What did the wise men say after offering their gifts of gold and frankincense? But wait, there's myrrh. Feel free to use that later on today with the rest of the family. There you go. You're welcome. What do you call a reindeer ghost? A caraboo. I'm really, this is really working well for Larry Futrell, and that makes me happy. I can hear him from here. I know what he wanted. All right, finally, my favorite, uh, and so you've probably heard it before because it's my favorite, in season and out of season. What did one snowman say to the other? Do you smell carrots? Because the nose is carrot. It'll come. All right. But the real gift that I have for you today, since we're gathered up, is the Word of God. The one who has spoken all things into being and created all things through his Word has spoken to you as well. Are you ready to hear the Word of God today? Well, then let's read it. Luke chapter 2. Verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first re uh, registration took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. So then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth, and she laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. This is it. This is the word of the Lord this is the word of the Lord, and this is our Lord come into our lives in such a simple and such a small way. You know, the first thing you notice about this passage is everything else that is going on that has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. First, it talks about Augustus, the first name that you see there, that uh, Caesar Augustus, the ruler of Rome, issued a decree. There's a whole wild story about Caesar Augustus and his life the nephew of Julius Caesar, who came to take on and take control to be the emperor of all of Rome. There was a triumvirate he was a part of. Uh, there was intrigue 
There was crazy things that happened. Mark Anthony, one of his uh, competitors for the throne, for ruling over Rome, had just subdued the Israelites, the Hasmonean dynasty, during the time of the Maccabees, had brought them back under Roman control only to himself, be killed by Caesar and be, be taken over. Then even after this time, Augustus's life is wild as one son after another gets passed over while he is looking for an heir, and especially while his wife, Livia, is looking for her son, Tiberius, to be the heir. It's widely suspected that she poisoned and killed Augustus, and that's the way he dies. It's, it's a crazy story, and it's a big story in the history of Western civilization, Augustus. But then there's also Quirinius. His, you may not know nearly as well, but his story is also pretty exciting and eventful. He's actually highly favored by Augustus, and so he is appointed to be one of the tutors, to be the main tutor to raise up one of Augustus's grandsons, to build him up. And Quirinius is doing this, hoping that it will himself bring him up politically, raising up who is supposed to be the future emperor, only for that one to be passed over in favor of another one. And so Quirinius quickly uh, tries to detach himself from that person and go over to this person. There's also David's city, which is mentioned here, because David, though he ruled from Jerusalem, the capital, he was born in a small town, Bethlehem, where he was a shepherd south of Jerusalem. And there's Joseph and Mary, who are coming from one place, Nazareth, way far north of Jerusalem, on down to the south part of Jerusalem. There is so much going on here. And in the middle of everybody's plans and all the busyness and everything that happens, in the middle of all these things that people are thinking about and worried about, the center of all of human history happens, and that is God takes on flesh and is born into the world, quietly and without other people noticing, unless a chorus of angels <laughs> appears in the sky to announce it big. I have for you an illustration, first of all, to show you. Uh, this is a painting by Peter Bruegel the Elder called The Fall of Icarus. It's from 1560. You know, if you can see it, the first thing that you see there in the foreground is a guy plowing with a horse. Uh, it's an interesting painting for 1516. It's definitely a Renaissance painting. There's, there's a good depth of field to it. There's a ship sailing there. Uh, the only thing with this guy on his horse that you're supposed to be looking at, both by the color of his clothes and then also by the fact that he's prominently featured, is the painting's called The Fall of Icarus. And if you know your Greek mythology, it's because Icarus, the son of, oh, whatever his name is, who makes the wings and flies too close to the sun and ends up falling, right beneath the ship, you can see some legs sticking out of the water where he has fallen into the water. But the point and the purpose of the painting is that you see what's important to him bears no meaning on what's going on in the plans of everybody else. I have another painting for you, same artist, Peter Bruegel, but uh, six years later, in 1566, you just have this snowy little village in what looks like Belgium or the, uh, the, the Danish countryside where Peter Bruegel was from. But you know what this painting is entitled? It's entitled The Census at Bethlehem. And you have the same thing going on. None of the buildings look particularly well decorated for Christmas because it's just the census at Bethlehem, but it's the first Christmas. Everybody's going about their way. Everybody's doing what they need to do. Everybody's forming lines. And in the midst of all the busyness and the things that are going on, God is born into the world. 
I like these Peter Bruegel paintings because they, they point out really clearly for us and it gives you a moment to think about everything else that's going on for everybody else and all the other things that are happening, but in the middle of it, God has a plan and he is continuing to make his plan known and to make his things work out. God enters into a world that is so distracted by their own happenings. Perhaps these two paintings are too erudite for you, so I have a third one. Uh, go ahead and put it up. This is a Where's Waldo drawing from 1988. Uh, is that more relatable for you? Here's a Where's Waldo. He's in there somewhere. <laughs> There's a whole lot happening. All these Where's Waldo paintings uh, kind of come from and are in line with the Peter Bruegel ones where there's just a whole lot going on. Yeah, some of you are looking hard for Waldo. Go ahead and switch us back to poinsettias. You're not going to find him today. But just like a Where's Waldo drawing where there's so much happening all over the place, that's what was happening at the time when Christ was born. And yet into all of this that seems so chaotic and busy, God has a plan and God is achieving His plan and His purpose. Likewise, in your life, there is so much going on in the world that would demand your attention and tells you that it is the most important thing happening in the world right now. What sorts of things are the most important things that are happening in the world right now? What are they? The rising cost of energy around the world? This is particularly problematic when it's awfully cold outside because while heat is a problem, very few people actually die from heat. Far, far more people globally die from cold each year. And that's a real problem. And so energy, being as expensive as it is, especially worldwide right now, is a, is a big crisis and a big deal going on, is it not? What else is the most important thing going on in the world right now? The war in Ukraine? I'll be honest with you, this is awfully important and absolutely worth paying attention to and praying for. What else is going on that's the most important thing right now? Winter storms? Did you spend your time switching the channel from Hallmark Christmas movies to the Weather Channel to watch uh, as cold reporters stand outside someplace freezing like in St. Paul? I was laughing with Trevor Burrow as uh, Trevor and Laura are in Toronto right now, where her family's from. She's from Toronto. And he said, yeah, we tried to take uh, Alice outside to go sledding a little bit, but the wind chill was like minus 20. <laughs> said, yeah, well, she'll see the sled hill later. Her eyes are frozen shut right now. What's the most important thing going on right now? China's totalitarian control? This is worth paying attention to. But all these countries and all these leaders and all these people and all these news agencies have a this is the most important thing going on in the world right now. And I'm here to tell you that just like on that day when Christ was born, so on this day, those are not the most important things that are happening. The most important thing that's happening is what's happening right here, that Jesus Christ is establishing his kingdom, that people are coming to trust him around the world in all these nations. There is no totalitarian regime or control that can hold back people from trusting Jesus Christ as is demonstrated every single day in China right now. The most important thing that's going on in the world right now is that God came into the world and took on flesh to pay for our sins, and He has come into your life as well to draw you towards Him. You know, you don't even have to look at the wider world. What about just your life? What are the most important things that are happening right now? What has all of your attention right now? Is it travel? 
Is it family issues and family struggles and family personalities? What has all of your attention right now? Is it your hot water heater freezing and trying to get things fixed and pipes fixed? What about the rest of you? Is it grades? Is it sports? Is it friendship? Is it relationship challenges? All of these things are important. But the most important thing that is happening in your life right now is that God himself has come into your life and is drawing you towards him as well. Don't be distracted and lose sight of the fact in the middle of all of the busyness that's not just the holiday seasons, it's just life, welcome to it, and the world. It's busy, and it's all busyness, and it'll distract you until you turn your eyes away from all that to focus on the fact that Christ has come into the world and Christ has come into your life. The next thing you'll notice about here, not only all the goings-on in the world and the focus on Him, is the location. This is set in Nazareth of Galilee is where they come from. They come from a small town called Nazareth up in Galilee, maybe a town, maybe a region. It's kind of one of those things, are you from a a town that's not really a town but a region? You know, are you from an area uh, where your zip code was county and not city? Or you can kind of say you're from here but you have to give a long explanation if somebody asks where you're from and how you get there. That's what Nazareth is. It's not a big place. It's Nazareth in, we have to specify, Galilee up in that region that would be recognizable. But because of the census, they have to travel to the ancestral town that they're from, Bethlehem, in order to be registered for the census. So they travel cross-country down to, not Jerusalem, Bethlehem, another small farming town on the south side of the nation, on the south side of Jerusalem. Uh, I have a map for you today on the screen that I want you to turn your attention to. Can you point to where you live on this map? Do you know? You see yourself? If you look at the blue that's next to the other blue, (laughs) there you are. Uh, Aiken is not mentioned on a map, uh, not on most maps anyway. And I'll tell you that like 95% of all Americans couldn't point it to you on a map. Uh, I, being from Texas, had never set foot in the state of South Carolina until I moved to Aiken, until we came down here. And I couldn't have told you where it was. And even now, as I try to describe where I live when I travel and visit with people and say, oh, I pastor a church in Aiken. How do you start off describing it? It's in South Carolina. And they still kind of glazed over a little bit because we're not from a part of South Carolina that's easy to describe, Charleston or upstate, right? Uh, We're from one of these other spots. I have to say it's by Augusta, Georgia. Is that helpful to you? It's by the Savannah River. So you go to the river and it's halfway up and down the state on the river is where you're looking. Sometimes you even have to mention the masters if they don't know where Augusta is because a lot of people still don't know that one. You have to spend a lot of time describing where exactly we are and and what that means. You can go back to the poinsettias. (laughs) Another illustration for you. And here to tell you, though, as this passage demonstrates, small towns aren't small. And as you well know, Aiken is not small uh, any longer, not by a long shot. Small towns aren't small, but I also want to tell you today that small people aren't small either. Small towns aren't small, and neither are you. This God of ours chose for himself some people who live in Nazareth. Where's that? It's out in Galilee. We have to explain it to you because nobody can point to it on a map. And the people that he chose were teenagers probably, at least Mary for sure. These were very young. They were not yet married. They were not yet in any sensible description of the word adults, as they wouldn't be considered now either. 
And yet these are the ones that God chose from a place that nobody had heard of in order to do the most important thing that happened in the world. There are no small places because God is in all places and with His people at all times. And so there's also no small lives to be lived or people that God has great purpose for you as well. Last night for a Christmas Eve service, if you got to be here for it, it's a really special time. And one of the things that was most significant to me was uh, some of our teenagers here from the church read Scripture passages. So we had the, the, the story read, all of Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we'd sing a hymn, and then one of the teenagers would come up and read a piece of the story and go and sit down. And uh, they were all a little nervous coming up and reading here. And God bless them, you might be too. You also might think, whatever you do, don't ask me to read Scripture from the pulpit, please. They were all a little nervous about it, but they were willing to do it. And even one that was really exciting is uh, Carson, young Carson. Uh, he came for, I, I asked him that night, one of ours couldn't come, and so I said, Carson, can you make it? Uh, would you, he was here already. I said, Carson, would you come read? And he goes, uh, yeah, sure, I'm in. I'm willing to. He's ready right then and there. And he came up and he did a great job with it. And they all, the, the boys, I was talking to several of them afterwards, I was like, thank you guys so much for just being willing to do this. And one of them said, Oh, I wasn't willing to do this. You reached out to my mom, not to me, and she told me I was going to go up and read. <laughs> I said to all of them, I said, you guys, it doesn't matter if you're like, good at reading things in front of people, and it doesn't matter if you had all the names correct. It doesn't matter if you felt super nervous because another one of the guys said, man, I read over that. I knew the words. I knew I was going to be fine. But then I stood up there and looked out at everybody, and I was suddenly, I couldn't breathe any longer. So it doesn't matter. You were willing. The Word of God does the work of God. All you had to do was say, yes, Lord, and go and read it and let the Word do the work itself. And that's always the way it is. And that's the way it was for Joseph and Mary. God only needed some people who would say, yes, Lord. They didn't know have to know how to do it all correctly, and they certainly did not. But Mary was a person, and Joseph was a person who each one of them separately, an angel appeared to, and each one of them separately said, yes, I will do whatever you ask. That's it. There's no small towns, and there's no small people. There are only those who are willing to say, yes, Lord. And I'm here to tell you today, every last one of you, God is calling you now just like he called them to his service. It will be a different service. There will be not be another Mary and Joseph needed in God's plan, but he's calling you likewise. And the neat thing is, you know, so that we all have giftings and we all have talents and we all have abilities, and then when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit gives you another gifting. You receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? When it comes to the calling of God, he doesn't call people based on how they're gifted. He calls who he wants, and the people that he uses are the ones who say, yes, Lord, I will do it. Just like our youth last night in the service who said, okay, I'll do it. And they did excellent because they said, yes, Lord, and they followed in obedience of it. God is at work in this place and in this area. And God is at work in your life. All that is needed from you is to say, yes, Lord, I believe. Take what you want. Use what you want. Whatever situation, it doesn't matter, whatever the request is, you'll have to do all the actual work, but I am willing. I tell you that every time, just like in this passage, it is the Word of God that actually does the work. You simply must be willing to do it. 
Your life is not small. Your place is not small. God has called you. Will you believe? Will you follow him? And will you obey with your life? Last thing you'll notice here is that God provides for them. Doesn't God provide for them in the story? Isn't it beautiful how God provides for them? I think if you're reading it, you would say, no, it's not beautiful how God provides for them. It's an animal feeding trough. Do you have animals and you clean out their feeding troughs? Do you have a dog with a dog bowl, perhaps? Maybe just imagine that and how dirty it is right now. Are you even willing to touch it without washing your hands? And yet this is what God has provided for them for laying down their child to be born. Make no mistake, God provides for them, but how do you feel about how God provides for them? Essentially, if you need a modern object lesson of what it looks like, God's provision for them, it would be this for us. Have any of you laid a child into a drawer? Were you the child laid into the drawer? I remember this discussion uh, when my wife and I were uh, expecting our first child and we were trying to make sure we had everything that we needed for the child. And I was, I, I've just always been kind of a, meh, it'll be all right. It'll sort itself out, which is infuriating, I'm sure, to be married to. Uh, but I was like, nah, it'll be cool. It'll be fine. I was like, there's plenty of children who have been laid in, a, laid in a sock drawer, to which was received that sentiment with horror. <laughs> but I mean, isn't this sufficient? Would, would the baby know any different? Is it warm enough for a child? What I'm here to tell you today is that God provided everything that was needed, but the provision may not have looked like what they expected or what they wanted or what they would have chosen for themselves, but God provided everything that they needed. I'm here to tell you today, God will provide everything that you need as well, but I am also here to declare to you today, it may not be what you want. And it may not be what you expect. And it may not be what you would have chosen for yourself. And it may mean that God provides for you, but in a way where you remain dependent upon Him no matter what. But is that so bad? God will provide in all the ways that He has called us. Let us remember it today in this way. Today, as we rejoice that God is good, let us remember God came into the world that was full of busyness and had all sorts of other things going on, but God has also come into your life when there's all kinds of busyness and all sorts of other things going on. What will you choose to focus on? Also remember your life is important to God, and He has plans for you. You have not messed up your life enough that God does not yet have work for you to do and a plan for you. He has it for you to start right now. You don't have to have any abilities, and you don't have to have any background, and you haven't messed up your education or your life or your job to where God doesn't have a plan for you. All there is needed today is just like Joseph and Mary for you to say, okay, yes, Lord, I'm willing and then to trust that His Word is what is actually going to do the work, but you need to be faithful and ready to serve in the, any way that He calls you. And finally, know this, God will provide all that is needed. 
It may not be what you want. It may not be what your expectations are. Have you ever seen a person, a child, disappointed by a Christmas gift? Let's not insult the children that, you know, that they're just, you know, uh, oh, what's the right word for deserving? Let's not say that, oh, the child's just deserving, because you have too. Also, even as an adult, perhaps, been disappointed by a gift. And it's about expectations. Your expectations were one thing, and if your expectations are high and what you receive is different, then you can be disappointed. It's a matter of expectations, yes? Let's not set expectations on God that He has not offered Himself to us, but rather let us receive with joyful heart all that He offers. I tell you this, whatever you've imagined that you think God ought to provide for you, forget about it. And instead, receive joyfully however He does provide for you. And I tell you this, not only will the God's provision be different than what you expected, it will be better than what you expected, no matter what form it takes. Let us today rejoice and praise this Lord who has come into the world, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and who has come into your life as well, the Holy Spirit. You are called to faithfully serve Him, so come and offer your life to Him. And God will provide. It may not look like all of your hopes and dreams, but I promise you it will be better than all of your hopes and dreams, even if it's less. Come and give your life to Him, and come, let us rejoice. Father God, I thank You so much for Your kindness to us. I thank You so much that You did not leave us alone, but that You came into this world. And I thank You that You have not left us alone, but that You have come into our lives. We're here for it. We, we trust You. We believe. We're ready. All of our lives for You. And we will rejoice at any provision you offer to us. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This I pray in Jesus' name, amen.